What is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I am your host, Brett McGrath. Fired up as always to be here and share a conversation with you that I think is relevant and hopefully it resonates. We are talking about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. That is writing. I am joined by Nicole McLean of Composely and we are unpacking how to scale up writing and support it the right way. So often writing gets funneled through one or maybe two resources. And so what I wanted to do was talk about how we could get it involved more across teams, organization, how do we bring in other resources to help support it. If you like what I'm doing over here, follow, subscribe, all the buttons, you know the drill. But most importantly, tell a marketing friend you're enjoying Modern Day Marketer Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I got to be honest, I'm very excited about this conversation because it's around a topic that's really important to all of us as marketers. And I feel like we, I have done a disservice by not talking more about this topic. So we're going to be talking about writing today. We're going to be talking about how to scale up writing and support the right way. I'm really excited to share this one with you all. I'm joined by Nicole McLean, who's the head of growth marketing at Composely. Uh, Nicole, I know you've got a lot of uh, writing going on in your world on a regular basis. I think this topic is timely. So excited to jump in with you. But without further ado, welcome. How are you? Thanks, Brett. What's up, everyone? So excited to, to join. I'm doing well. Uh, also excited to jump into this topic. Um, I will say I've always said writing is not a skill set of mine, which is probably being a little hu- Hoosier humility there. Um, but it's so important. I mean, everything we do in marketing revolves around writing. And ultimately, whenever you want to make anything better, it's like, what's the messaging? How can I write this better? What's the sales email? How can I make this subject line more enticing? How can I add more content to the website? So I mean, writing is just everywhere. And whether you like it or not, we're all writers. And getting some support there is also very helpful, which can be challenging sometimes in harder economic environments. But yeah, excited to, to kind of dive in and, and share what I've learned so far from working with a team of writers. I love it. Um, yes. So much of today's marketing is about the Megatrends video. We're on a podcast right now. It's a little podcast inception promoting audio. But <laughs> I think when I rewind the tape and like look at each week I have, I would say a majority of my time is spent writing, which is is good. I like writing and it's, it's a necessary evil. And so I think the intention of this conversation, what I think you're going to help us understand is just like, Maybe when is writing too much for one individual? When do we need to start adding resources? So we're going to dive into that. But before we do that, Composely, if anyone out there is unfamiliar, maybe just give the snapshot on who Composely is and what you all do. Yeah, great question. So super high level, we have a network of freelance writers that are experts specifically in writing SEO optimized copy that can come in and partner alongside content creators and marketing leaders to help take writing off your plate. Um, so from blog articles, ebooks, guides, website, etc., cetera, uh, you can partner with us and we'll understand your tone, your brand guidelines, and produce some great content for you. I love it. Um, I think that's probably uh, this would be a very relevant service for uh, many people out there listening who are feeling some of the pain points that we might dive into in this one. Let's start here. Um, so 
I feel like this happens a lot, small, medium-sized business. You've got a marketer on the team who is, you know, a jack of all trades, you know, doing the demand gen, doing content, doing a lot of different things, involves involved with a lot of writing, emails, blog posts, deliverable for the quarter. All of a sudden, you know, CEOs tapping the marketer on for more writing support, then all of a sudden they're writing sales deliverables. And then yeah, you, know, you have an RFP, you need to write a job description for like a super important product development role or something. Yeah. You have all the things, all the things. Let's, let's send it to the marketer. Who's really good at writing. So then no one takes the time to look at the marketer and they've got, you know, a stack of priorities on top of their job. So I guess like from your perspective, what, what are kind of those signals that, you know, the marketer should be looking for when like too much is one person, like, what what's what sort of things do you look for and maybe like what are some potential solutions for that? Yeah, this I definitely think this is probably the toughest question when we were talking through prep. I was like, wow, this is a good but tough question. I think there's a couple ways to look at it. Like first is just pure capacity of an individual and whether or not they can handle what's being asked. Um, and ultimately, I think the uh, if anyone likes drinking games out there, like the drinking game of this podcast is going to be, you know, what are the goals? What are the priorities? Like everything always comes back to that. And so the first thing that really stuck out to me in this question was, you know, what what are the priorities here? You know, what what is going to really meaningfully impact the business? And a lot of times marketers have a variety of things that actually don't relate to it, you know, like the job description, or can you do this web page or can you help with this like sales email? And sometimes it is going to be super, super impactful. And sometimes it's not. And so I think the first thing is to understand when you have all these writing tasks, what is distracting you from the writing that's actually going to move the business forward. And if you can kind of bring that as your business case, if you will, it's not a, oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm over capacity. Like I'm burnt out. Those are all very valid things. Please, if you feel those things, like those are valid feelings. However, especially in small, mid-sized businesses, everyone's burnout. It's kind of just how things are. And so if that's what you present as the challenge, it can kind of go on deaf ears versus the, hey, we wanted to accomplish this this quarter. That's not getting done because of these things. Either can you help me tell my colleagues and peers in other departments, these things aren't going to get done, or can we look for some additional resources? And then we will probably get into that, but finding those additional resources can come in a couple different ways. I think the other thing I have noticed specifically at small companies, uh, and Brett, I'm curious your perspective on this, is if you're at a place where you really are thinking about scale out of like scale versus survival, because those are, again, very different stages of a business. But if you're trying to look at scale of a business, small companies, the tone, the brand, the style is always so dictated by the people who are on the team. And when there is churn or you're bringing new people on, you can clearly see the seasons of marketing teams at smaller businesses to say like, oh, these pieces of content were written and developed and created by this creative team. And the next year of content just feels slightly different because oftentimes you don't have strong brand guidelines. You're still kind of figuring out product market fit. You don't entirely know who you are. And so it just is whatever is in that person's head. And so I do think if you're looking to scale, relying so heavily on everything that is being written or produced by one person is can actually be a risk 
Because if that person leaves, if you have to make a tough decision, you've lost everything. And it makes it so much challenging to even bring in outside resources or to backfill that person. Like that person's basically starting from scratch. So I think as a leader, if again, if you're looking at scale versus survival of the business, excuse me, that's a huge opportunity. And then I would also say like from a pure SEO, like organic search is a big part of your business. Understanding how much content you're putting out and how much you could be putting out that would really drive a difference in, in your strategy. And what I mean by that is like, if you're putting out one blog a month, that's fine, but it's probably not enough content to really make a huge difference and drastically see organic search yield a lot of meaningful opportunity for you. Of course, you should get check this with your competitors and, and how much content are they putting out and all that good stuff. But ideally, you should probably be putting out about three to four a month. And like these blogs should be at least like 1,000 to 2,500 words long, which is a lot to ask of a one-person writer team or one-person marketer. And so again, like bringing it back to that business opportunity, if you can do some keyword research, you see a lot of topic clusters or you see a lot of opportunity where you're not writing content and you probably should be, that is also probably a signal that you should look for additional resources. So that was a lot. I just threw out a lot of like different things that answer. So let me know if, if you have questions or none of that made sense. Oh, a lot of it made sense and actually uh, react to some of it and probably pitch it back your way because I yeah. think it's a good segue into some of the rest of this conversation. So I, I firmly believe that the advantage that we have as marketers, especially as at an early stage company, is to in first align with the, the value the values of the business. So make sure your CEO has the values together. And usually at a nimble, uh, growth-focused, early stage company, there will be some freedom. And that freedom, I think, as marketers and people who write, we need to grab a hold of that. And what we need to do is we, we need to inject our personality, our thoughts, our, our beliefs that align with the company's values and, and mission into our writing and create personality. That mm-hmm. personality that we use to cut will help cut through the noise and will help build make connections from people who see the writing, see the article, find it helpful. Then it eventually gets to the stage where like, I wonder what this company actually does. And then they just go explore. So I have that, like when you were walking through that, like that unlocks something deep into the back of my brain that I'm like, well, it's not surprising. Like I obviously am on your podcast, but I think you do a great job of this. I mean, every Friday I'm like, Oh, Babe Ruth. Like, okay. Like, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Or, you know, whatever. But like, if you are no longer at the helm of that newsletter, what, what happens to that personality that we love so much, you know? bring, Hey, everybody, if you host a podcast, bring guests on who give you flowers (laughs) and hype you up in real time. Um, so, so yes, we're, we're going to get to that. I want to address the, the, the pushing business initiatives forward and making Mm -hmm. sure the writing aligns with that. So I think from my experience and just working at the juice, it's like, okay, well, you know, we're writing a newsletter, we're writing weekly content where there's writing that's involved in this podcast podcast. There's writing to support sales. There's all this writing. I I like look at all the writing I do on a weekly basis and all of it is incrementally helping push the business forward to better align with the objectives and the goals that we set, knowing that uh, it takes time, 
but I'm not wasting my time, like doing any writing that isn't results driven. So I guess Mm -hmm. like, I think about this a lot. And I guess the question to you is, um, you know, a company that's focused on or on growth, a focus uh, that's do and a marketer that's doing a lot of writing that is effective. We hit this point where um, enough is too much, and it's like we got to keep managing this. But then there's new ideas. So I guess the question back to you is like this idea of like hiring, which is I think really challenging right now in this climate yeah. where most people are losing their jobs, unfortunately, because of the yeah. economy, versus outsourcing, and that's bringing in some writers to support what you're doing, but not compromising kind of the tone and the inflection and the personality that you've spent so much time building as a one person marketing team. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there. I think a lot of how I'm going to come to it is because of where we're at, which is, you know, an economic climate that isn't flourishing quite, quite how we would like it to be. Um, And so I feel like whenever that happens, one, marketers, our budgets are the first to get cut pretty much always. And we could easily go down a lot of tangents on whether or not that is the correct decision, but we we make work what we can in those situations. Um, and so I think what can happen is with like writing or design, like I think that's always the creative team is always where I think people look to say, well, oh, like that is easily freelanced or, oh, that can easily, you can find someone else to do that. Or like writing's cheap. I can find you know, someone who just graduated college for like 40 K or whatever, you know, based on where you are in the country, that looks different, you know, versus paying a more senior level person, you know, a lot more money. And if they're on staff, you have fringe benefits and you have insurance potentially, and and you have, you know, depending on if you're have to provide them with technology and, and all these other things that on a freelance side, you typically don't have to spend. So again, I I highly recommend like you have to know your own business. There are pros and cons of freelancing and you have to figure out what that is. I think when budgets are tight, the nice thing about freelancing is it gives you the maximum amount of flexibility for your dollars. Obviously, a lot of freelancers are moving to a more like retainer based because they want that, you know, type of recurring revenue that has come from SaaS. But you often can still find, you know, like month to month contracts, project based scopes, where you can get what you need. And if it goes well and you start to kind of rely on that person and you find that there's a good tone, it makes sense to kind of keep working together or finding things. So it's like a nice way to kind of dip your toe into things. The hard part about freelancing, which is I think what you said about that personality, especially for small teams, is that we have often not done the work of truly writing like a great brand profile, brand guidelines that really articulates the standard of what you expect in your writing. And sometimes it's like, oh, the amount of time it's going to take me to build really good guidelines, I could have just written this piece myself. And I think that's all like, oftentimes what happens is you're in a crunch and you're like, yeah, I'd love to go find this resource. And I could activate it super quickly if I had guidelines, if I could write my tone really well, but I'm going to go take an hour, hour and a half to go do that. I could just write this piece myself. And I wouldn't have to edit it, wouldn't have to give feedback. And so I think some of the upfront costs of freelancing, and this happens in design too. Like if you don't have a great brand guideline on on the visuals, it's the same thing. You then get those first couple pieces back and you spend more time editing it probably than it would have taken you to write it. And oftentimes I feel like we're not willing to put that work in for the first couple of projects that then gives you that scale or gives you that time back. 
And if you have those guidelines written, it helps you in so many other areas. It helps you delegate. If you do get to a point where you can stop freelancing and bring someone else in, their onboarding just became so much easier because you have really good articulated, documented guidelines. So I think that would kind of be my recommendation is it's a pain in the butt, but taking some time and really articulating it. The downside of that though, is like, if you don't have product market fit, if you're still a young company and kind of figuring it out, you might not actually know what your guidelines are. And so that's also where it can become kind of challenging is, is taking the time to put something that thorough together, knowing that it could evolve and change as you grow as a business. And so I think that's just one of the most difficult things. If you look at finding other resources, is the time it takes to make those resources actually deliver the work you need back. So much good stuff there. I'm I'm like my brain is like fireworks are going off in my head right now. So outsourcing on that topic, I think uh didn't really realize this was going to turn into kind of a personal account, but I'm sharing personal stories because writing Please. is near near and dear to my heart. So um when I'm thinking about writing support and help, and I would say like at the juice, I have my head above water barely most weeks. I'm not <laughs> drowning yet. But You're not thinking, drowning in the juice? <laughs> not not just like a nice, like yeah. just like lazy yeah. river of juice. Exactly. Exactly. But that uh, raft could be popped at any time. So it's good to have these conversations. So thinking about, I think writing support is having someone helping support writing is definitely future vision is writing is probably the most important skill set that I would hire on regardless of any other trends that are going on. So I think in the interim, it's like, uh, how, like, how do we bring in someone or uh, freelance or resources to help support this? And I think the conflict that I've always had is that I don't want someone to read the thing and be like, that doesn't sound like the juice number one. And number two, like, I don't want to take the time to, I'm a terrible editor. Like I'm horrible at like reading other people's stuff. It's boring to me. I hate it. I just want it to happen. So there's this like conflict. And the other thing is, is like, we're not to the stage where it's like, I can sit down and like write brand guidelines and have it make sense and go through that process. Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't know, question back to you. Like my take on it is like, if someone was looking for work, they said, I'm you're a good writer. My take would probably be like, all right, like here are like, the three most important pieces that I've ever written on the juice. And here are like the three most important podcast episodes I've ever recorded. And I'm always using these in different ways. Like go look at those things and you will get some sort of idea of how we communicate. Like, does that work? Is that fair to the the person who's coming in from an outsourced perspective? Talk to, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. I think that's a fair question. I mean, Not to pull too much of what Composely does, we obviously have a huge network of writers. So in some instances, you could have a writing team who learns your brand. And so if you provide them really great examples, we always ask that. Do you have examples of work? Even sometimes, um, maybe not competitor, because we want it to be like, we'll ask, you know, what should we avoid? But do you have examples of good that you're trying to get to? Because there's also that world where maybe, you know, again, I think you have a great voice, Brett. But sometimes marketers don't. And they're like, hey, I'm, I'm trying to up-level my content. I know it's not where I need it to be. That's part of why I'm looking for freelance help. Here are examples of good that I would like to attain. Can you help us drive? So I think examples actually do work really well. And if you have a good partner too, that can maybe eventually help you turn that into some guidelines, that's extra great because it's just, again, taking some work off of your plate. 
There was a lot that you said that like goes into that. So I, I think, yes, examples are a fantastic way of, of kind of figuring that out. I think this is slightly tangential to your question, but I think there are some things that work really well to outsource and some things that don't, frankly. And um, especially in the world of thought leadership, and we all love to talk about thought leadership, like you are not going to be able to get a freelancer to be your thought leader, to just magically create this content that changes the face and disrupts your industry. Like they're not going to be able to do that. So I think you have to be really realistic of your expectations of a a freelancer to point if you have in-depth knowledge of something, if you've been working really closely with the sales team or you understand a new product coming out, you should probably own those things. But can you outsource taking this blog and asking a freelancer to create a really good SEO optimized blog post off of this audio? Absolutely. Should you be spending your time doing that? No. Let a freelancer do that. Like you've you've done enough there. And this gets to some of the stuff we talked about in prep for this as well, but I think figuring out how to I call it like the Russian doll effect or repurposing content, micro content, pillar content. There's like 80 things that you can call this, you know, in the marketing world. But to point, if you take the time and create a really good thorough 10-page ebook that has the right tone, you wanted to put your your mitts on it, really make sure it has your thumbprint, then take that and ask a freelancer to say, I need 10 blog posts off of this that go into a little more detail, do some third-party research to, to bring in some stuff, go give me 10 blog posts, give me 20 social posts that I can plan out. And you are putting the effort into making that first thing really good, then using your resources to help expand upon that and create a plethora of content. I like that worked so well. Like, again, you said personal story, but when we were, when I was prepping for this, you know, it was the height of COVID, you know, we, the company I was at had just gone through a riff. I suddenly was in charge of partnerships and a podcast and blogs and content and events that didn't really exist anymore because events weren't a thing in, in, you know, July of 2020. And so I created this formula, shout out to uh, Rachel Downey at Share Your Genius, who is my podcast support at the time. And we created a formula to do this. And for us, it was record a webinar. You know, I, I was, so first I should say, I worked with our digital marketer, found out both like a list of good keywords and kind of knew what were some like big topics at the time, given it was, you know, COVID put together a series of webinars. Some of that included guests. Some of that was internal. We ran the webinar, made sure the audio was good, repurposed the audio into a podcast, sometimes two podcasts. Like we made shorter bite-sized podcasts. Each of those podcasts turned into at least one blog article. And each of those had two or three social posts. And as literally one person owning all of it, I had a flywheel of content that was both myself putting work into it, having some really good freelance support. And at the end of it, we were ranking like top 50 of Apple podcasts for like one of their subcategories, not trying to make it cooler than it was. But um, that flywheel really worked for us. And again, if I had to do all of that, there's no way I had capacity to do all of it. But if I prioritized 
my own personal skill set, which was hosting webinars like that as an event marketer at the time, I knew how to do that. I focused there and then got support for the other stuff that maybe didn't need as much of my focus and thumbprint. I had already done the work up front. That is what you call streamlining your content. And also, I'm sure many people can relate out there listening. It's the classic, okay, we're letting some people go. Here you go, marketer, go do all these other marketing things and yep. keep them all running, which is uh, never easy, nor it's never, never easy. Fun. And then, like, to point, you still want to do a newsletter letter because you don't want to ignore your customers or your prospects, but you need content to put in that newsletter, Mm. but you also have to write the newsletter. So where do you find all of it? And so really trying to, I love streamline your content makes a huge difference. Let's get into like back to the terrible economy, uh, (laughs) the doom and gloom, all of the LinkedIn woes we read on our feeds on a day-to-day basis. It it is real. Like we're, we're seeing, we're seeing this happen across the board. And so I think there, we if we didn't already as marketers struggle enough to try to get budget and resources to help us better serve our you know audience, you know now is probably as as challenging as it's ever gotten. So I guess the question is, if like based on this conversation, if you're in this situation where you know budgets are kind of you know we get our budget for the year, it's it's lower than it was last year. We are performing well. We want to do more. Like, how do we even have, like, how do we have that conversation internally? Like, what are the things we should be saying? Like, how should we be presenting it, especially during this time of just economic uncertainty? Yeah, well, first I will say, um, as someone who spent five years in the employee engagement space and has such a heart for just interpersonal communication, it ultimately comes down with your relationship with either your marketing leader or if you're reporting directly into the C-suite, like your relationship with that executive and how they react in times of uncertainty. I just kind of want to call that out because if you have a really strong relationship, that conversation is going to look very different than if you have a CEO that doesn't understand marketing that no matter what you say. So I I just want to acknowledge that that conversation can look very different. And I think it, it all goes back, like there could be so many other conversations about the relationship of a CEO and a CMO or CEO and VP of marketing. But I think it's a few things. I do think that as a marketer, making sure you understand your cash flow, especially if you're VC backed, like what is your runway? And just making sure you yourself have a good understanding of the state of the business. I think it's going to help inform how you talk about these things a lot more. If you're making it clear, you understand like where that CEO or CFO's head is at. Because if you don't, you could be like, yeah, well, I'm only asking for $5,000 or $10,000 for the year to go help with blah, blah, blah. And they're going to be like, right, well, I don't need that. Or like, I think this is always a classic case. It's a classic sales technique. Well, if you sign up for a two-year contract or a one-year contract instead of a six-month contract, I can get you a 10% discount. And you're like, yeah, 10%. Like That's a great long-term thought process. And then you go to your CFO and they're like, yeah, but our runway is up in four months and our you know, fundraising hasn't come through yet. I get it's 10%, but I'd rather only sign a shorter agreement and pay a little bit more now. And understanding like how that CFO, CEO is going to make the decisions will ultimately impact how you make that business case, how you ask for budget. So I think that just like now we're going on a finance podcast, Um, but I feel very strongly that marketers should understand the financials and be able to have that conversation to start with. Listen to Nicole. Don't listen to me about finance at all. <laughs> you, d- you don't want to do that. Uh, run for the hills. 
I love I love that though. I I do understanding your position, understanding the personality types. Um, it's it's all about always internal relationships and as marketers, we need to be internal salespeople ourselves. So just think uh, being pre- being prepared for those conversations. Um, I think we'll do everyone maybe a, a better service than not. So for sure. I, I, and then I think it's like really from there. Sorry, I didn't mean to, to cut no, you go off. For it. I think from there, it's a little bit like I hate job descriptions. I hate writing job descriptions. I know very few people who love writing job descriptions, but they are so helpful because it really forces you to have complete clarity about a role, about all of that. And really especially in kind of a downsize, you basically need to rewrite all job descriptions, depending on who's on your team. What is your job description now? Um, Because oftentimes you have like a strategic person who's now getting asked to be a player coach again. You probably don't want to do that. You still want to be able to grow. Asking for resources is hard. So I think if you can, again, like, and maybe it is actually going through that exercise and writing the job descriptions, you don't want to do that. I would not, uh, at least mentally kind of run yourself through that or make, or make some bullet points or some circles on like, what does this mean? Who's taking on these roles? What maybe has to get sacrificed. And then I think it goes down to, to that ROI, which is every marketer wishes that they could be super long term and, and put budgets and stuff into things that are going to set the business up for success a year from now, two years from now. But it really comes down to like, what is going to show immediate impact? And I think it's just getting those small wins hey, I want to do this program. I want to bring on this resource to help us accomplish X, Y, Z. Have clear metrics of success. How are you going to define if this money spent was worthwhile? Of course, every like leadership team is going to want it to tie back to revenue. Not everything in marketing can be super easily tied back. It just can't. But can you find other meaningful metrics that you can tie it back to and show how, that's, how that money is getting spent? Because I feel like that's the... That's the mindset that everyone goes to in a time like this, where it's, if I'm spending a dollar here, what am I getting back for that? And how quickly am I getting it back? If I get it back in a year from now, that may not be helpful enough. So it really does become a bit of a, kind of like what you said, like an internal sales thing. Like you have to kind of sell internally on why you should have these resources over other people. Like one thing that I have found helpful too, even for the team that you might have left is understanding those KPIs. And like we use a project management tool. Um, One of the columns I added is all of the goals, the KPIs for marketing, and then tying each task that someone has to work on in a week or two weeks or whatever your timeline looks like. And if like 70 to 80% of your tasks are not tying back to those metrics, it's also pretty clear you're working on the wrong things, which can also help you have that conversation upwards about time, resources, where are things getting wasted? There is a ton of good nuggets in this one. I love it. We've got, I kind of want to start rounding the conversation out. Before I do that, we've talked a lot about like tactically, like being in a position where maybe smaller stage, trying to scale, hit our goals, writing's heavily involved. Maybe like, let's talk about like, like aspirationally, like I'd love to know, like how are like bigger, more grown up, more of, efficient and effective, like writing teams organized? Like what are some of the things you're seeing with maybe clients that Mm. you admire and you, you might like point to as an example in conversations with, with people that are looking to scale up their writing? Yeah. So one thing we didn't talk about that I, I think plays into this is the idea of like stakeholders. And I, to me, this is the thing that often bites small teams in the butt 
is because you like work with a freelancer or even internally and you work and you have this great ebook and you're like ready to call it done. And then last minute, the CEO or the head of sales or someone else in the business that you did not identify needed to be a sign off for this has now seen it and is like, whoa, 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 whoa. And you now go back to like step four when you were at step 10 and, you know, across the, the finish line. So I think that is also a really important thing. I, to uh, really I, I spent, I spent 15 months at Salesforce. I love Salesforce. It taught me a ton, but that just like, I immediately thought of like my experience at Salesforce, when you called that out, it was growing up a little bit, but Every there are a lot of people who have a very strong opinion, and you got to get them involved because if you don't, it might sidetrack a project by three weeks, a month, two months. Well, and so to that point, it's not it doesn't always relate to scale. Like to me, I think it really relates to the structure of the business mm. because I would think Salesforce would be like, oh, they're so they have such clear structures and they have such you know dedicated niche teams that they're like, oh, if you're this team, you should just go run with it. I don't need to get involved. But that's not always the case. So really, I think that is agnostic of of size of teams. That's just kind of more of the makeup of team. Because I have seen some really strong, larger businesses. Like we've worked with um, some some folks that are really large and they're like, yeah, well, we're the publishing team. Like we own content. So I just get to make this decision. And as long as I sign off that it meets our brand standards, no one else needs to get involved. And, you know, we can work with a really large account and sign it in a month, which is like fantastic and unheard of. And then you have other really large, or even some small accounts that take months to get across the finish line because every single person's like, well, I want to see a sample of your writing. I want to see how this is. Well, I don't know if this hundred percent meets the mark. Well, yeah, we haven't worked together yet. We haven't developed it. And sometimes it's surprising how larger companies are actually like, that's okay. This was not a good article or you know, this, this isn't exactly meeting what we're looking for, but I know we're going to get there. Like the foundation of it is good. It just didn't align with our, our brand yet, but that's going to take, and they seem to understand it a little bit better of like, yeah, it's, you know, the next two, oh, these were great. This is exactly what we wanted. Okay. Now we're off running. So I think just that piece is interesting. The other thing when you have, so to that point, like having a really clear point of contact on who does make like, whether that's a project manager or who's making the go, no go decision. Oftentimes when you're a larger business, you just have more people. So that has to be a little bit more well-defined and making sure you have that editor. So like you said, Brett, like you hate writing, but having an editor that can- No, I love, I love, I love writing, but I hate editing. Hate editing. You're right. You're right. (laughs) Misspoke there. Uh, You hate editing. We love editors. Editors are so important. Um, They are often such a great gut check that small companies typically don't have the luxury to have an in-house editor. And so that's typically a you or a me that's like, yeah, I'm, I hate grammar, but I'm going to like, yeah, there should totally be a comma here. And so having an editor at a larger team is typically really helpful because they're going to catch like 80% of the things that if you didn't have, that often would cause three or four additional rounds of edits. But having that really clear editor that is kind of filtering everything through is super helpful. So I think having that um, as you like structure your team is a really important hire and a key piece of it. Let's take it home with this one. Uh, A lot has been shared. Um, there is stuff that I'm thinking about in a different way, which is really good. Hopefully anyone out there, uh, feels the same way, I guess let's close it out with just like one piece of advice could be, you know, 
based mm. on the current economic circumstances, based on an individual being on content or writing overload, wanting to scale up any piece of advice that will help kind of an individual or individual teams scale up writing? Like what is, what is the most important nugget you, you might have shared already that you want to double down on or want to bring something else to the table as we close this out? Yeah, this is such a good question. So the thing that I have shared that I would double down on for sure is just really getting alignment on goals and priorities. You're going to sound like a redundant person, but if you are constantly bringing things back internally as a leader, as a content leader around what are the goals and priorities of the business? And am I spending my time on that? Am I being asked to spend my time on that? Am I putting my resources towards that? I think is going to help slash also knowing like the financial state. Some of the financial pieces I think are really helpful. One of the things that I think is just really tactical, especially as someone who came more from like broader content strategy, events, partnerships, like wasn't necessarily a digital marketer by trade, is just the power that lives in organic efforts. Um, And it all ties together, especially Google's had like 12 updates, literally like 12 updates in the last two months. So it's very interesting to see what they're trying to prioritize. And so things like webinars, podcasts, um, genuine authoritative content is actually super important. But it is essentially free. Like, yes, you have to pay for the content, but you don't, it's very different than like PPC or sponsored webinars or going to an event. And so when you are losing budget, I think having really good optimized content can be surprising, surprisingly beneficial. And as someone who didn't grow up as a technical SEO in marketing um, and since joining a business that one, provides that service to clients and two, takes that very seriously internally. I feel like I've learned so much and just been blown away by, yes, it is a lot. And there are a lot of levers to pull, but it is very powerful. And when budgets are getting cut, if you're ranking one, two, three for keywords, no matter what happens to your budget, you're still going to keep seeing leads come in. You're still going to keep seeing your brand awareness get out there. Um, So very tactically in this economic climate, like don't, what what do the kids say? Like don't don't put shade on it. Don't don't sit on. I don't know what the kids say. Don't ignore. It sounds right. Right. It might For go sure. through TikTok and pick up a couple of those things and use them in a podcast. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like it's one of those things that's again so easy to deprioritize if that's not your sole focus. Is all of the metrics you can look at and and going back to optimize old content. We never have time to do that. Ever have time to do that. But it can be really, really powerful. So just as a really tactical nugget, like finding a day or an afternoon, put on, you know, we're not there quite yet, but put on some Michael Buble Christmas album and just like re-optimize three or four landing pages and three or four blog posts based on data, like use data. You might actually see some really good um, impact there. So full of great information. Um, Hopefully if you're out there and you're thinking about writing, thinking about scaling up, your writing or anything else we discussed on this podcast episode, you found this beneficial. Nicole had a lot of fun. I think we could talk about organic until the cows come home. We are in Indiana. We might've shown our colors a little bit by that Midwestern entry level 40 K salary. I know, right? Sound bite. Don't tell anyone. Hey companies, Uh, this is why you should hire people in Indiana. (laughs) Cost of living is way way more affordable. Come join us. Exactly. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, We'll have to get you back on and talk more. 
Yeah, it was so great, everyone. Um, hopefully you found something helpful here. Uh, would love to connect. Feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. Um, but Brett, thanks so much for just hosting this and, and giving a platform for marketers to learn from each other. And uh, yeah, just good luck out there. Stay stay motivated uh, and keep keep doing the marketing. Awesome. You take care. Talk to you soon. Cool. Thanks, Brett. Sometimes you have these guests and you have topics and you feel like you could go on and on and on and there's rabbit holes. That was certainly one of them with Nicole. I love writing. I think it is a critical skill. One of the most important skills I look for when I'm working and evaluating marketers. Think more about your writing. Are you feeling overwhelmed? Are you underwater because all the writing is coming to you? Hopefully you picked up something from this episode that can help alleviate that. You take care of yourself, take care of others around you. We'll be back more Modern Day Marketer next week.